0: Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear.
1: Growing supply chain crisis. The ship stuck in Long Beach. It has a direct impact on everything because we are so dependent on global trade and our trade going out as well. Welcome back, the newest astronauts. You're going 2,000 miles an hour.
0: Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 1037. Well, he's back. He finally made it up into space and uh, made it back. 90 years old, William Shatner. And uh, we were talking before we went on the air. He has uh, eaten well. <laughs> <laughs> he used to be Captain Kirk. Now he looks space. like he's. Oh, here on he is.
2: I don't think he'd fit in that polyester suit. (laughs) These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Now he looks more like a
0: mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilization. That's good. That's good. All right. We don't want to
2: overdo it. I mean, people are saying, come on, let's get on with the program. Now he has the largest head in outer space. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a big head. You know, (laughs) really. (laughs) He's eaten well. He's... uh,
0: yeah, if, if um, they do another Tolkien film, he can be one of the trolls. <laughs> <laughs> WITN is reporting uh, the North Carolina State Fair will get underway tomorrow. We'll run through Sunday, October the 24th. And they've already handed out some of the awards for the largest pieces of whatever, including the biggest pumpkin. You ready for this? Chris Rodovall. From Lewisburg, West Virginia, entered his pumpkin and won first place 1,965 and a half pounds in one pumpkin. Wow. That's a lot of pumpkin pie. Mm. The largest watermelon, just nine pounds from the world record, came in at 341 pounds. That was Andrew Vile of Liberty, North Carolina. 341 pounds of watermelon. So do you eat it or do you uh, frame it?
2: I'm afraid it might be jacked up on steroids or something, something that, I mean, good gracious. I've never seen one that large. That's a uh, big pumpkin, big watermelon. Speaking of pumpkin, did you see in uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee earlier in the week or actually last week where a black bear just goes in the middle of the street, goes up to a hotel where it has a, you know, has a um, Halloween scene, a fall scene out front, just grabs a pumpkin and starts gnawing on it. <laughs> and then it rolls in the street. It's kind of funny.
0: <laughs> if you are a Social Security uh, recipient, uh, inflation has caused a, a little raise in your income. You will get a 5.9 boost in benefits in 2022. That is the biggest cost of living adjustment in 39 years. And it's not because Joe Biden is generous. It's because inflation is out of hand
2: Mm. yeah you know when that time was we were just coming out of four years of jimmy carter that's right so there you go jimmy carter joe biden so jimmy carter uh you may rest easy you have been outdone on your presidency (laughs) by china joe there there is a uh,
0: obvious competition between cousin eddie Barack Hussein Obama, and Jimmy Carter, who is the worst. And Jimmy's looking better all the time. I mean, he's he's not good. Jimmy, of course, was a one-term president. Will Joe make one term? That's the question. Mm, Nope. So (laughs) if uh, the average retired worker will uh, receive $1,657 a month next year, typical couple's benefit would... uh, go up by $154 to 27 dollars per month.
2: Problem is gas prices have yeah. du- doubled. Uh, heating oil is already uh, up 180, well, 190% go- before winter's ever even started. So, yeah, yeah. Medicare premiums are going up. So, um, yeah. you'll, I, you'll, you'll, I, go, you'll I, go backwards. I
0: saw a headline that uh, to heat your – if you're heating with oil this year, gas is not uh, natural gas is not as bad, but if you're heating with oil this year – uh, you can expect more than double
2: from what you paid last year. Uh, natural gas is going up too. Oh, it's going up. I don't think it's
0: gone up as much as oil. Mm-hmm. So the um, one of the reasons everything's going up in price is because uh, it's uh, as far as goods go. It's because they're not in the store; they're in a container ship somewhere off the coast of Los Angeles, and. Joe Concha, whoever liked Joe Concha, he writes for The Hill. You see him on Fox News every now and then. He uh, has written an op-ed on this, and uh, the, the title of his op-ed, Amateur Hour, Pete Buttigieg, An Experience Exposed as Supply Chain Breaks Down. <laughs> and he points out that three years ago, the only people who knew about Pete Buttigieg were the 103,000 people who lived in uh, his hometown of South Bend, Indiana. Pothole Pete. Pothole Pete. That was what he's known for. And uh, Pothole Pete was in charge of uh, 60 buses. They had a small train station. They had a small regional airport. And so, therefore, he qualifies to be the secretary of the Department of Transportation. And you say, well, why did he? Because he was the first gay, outspoken gay candidate for the presidency.
2: That's why. I got ready to say the only reason was he checked the box. He checked the box that the Democrats want to make sure you can check a box. Bingo. No experience,
0: has no clue what he's doing, and but uh, he was the first gay candidate,
2: so you know there, 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 that qualified him. Like I heard some comedian that said, uh, you know what, what qualifies Pete Buttigieg to be uh, uh, Department of Transportation Secretary? Well, he flew in an airplane with his husband <laughs> on his honeymoon or something like that, and that's right. I mean, that's that's the only reason.
0: It, it, what's really interesting though, so we, we've got this huge problem. We've got literally hundreds of container ships off of uh, the in the Atlantic and out in the ocean off uh, L.A. and San Francisco and San Diego. They can't get in. And everybody in the Biden administration. Well, I have no clue. I have no clue. Why? Mm-hmm. In this? I mean, the uh, Marty Welsh, who's the labor secretary, literally he's come out today. I don't know why. Well, you, you want to take a guess why? It's because you're paying people to stay home and sitting on their fannies.
2: And you're giving them free rent. They don't have to pay They don't have to pay the landlords. You're sending them a check to pay their landlords for the last six months, and what do they do? They go blow it. Yep. But Marty Welsh, what is his background in? If I'm not badly mistaken, no clue. he'd like to sue people. He, he was a for, for, uh, ambulance chaser. I, th- I think he was a lawyer for, um, like, employee rights or something. You know, typical. You know, you know, never signed a paycheck on the front. So Joe Concha, the Joe Concha,
0: Joe says, okay, where is the media on this? Now, just yesterday, we played that little clip by Nancy Pelosi. She's, I don't, I'm going to use a bad word. She is complaining that the media is not doing their job by selling the Joe Biden. Build Back Better plan, the $3.5 trillion dollar plan. So, you know, it's not that the plan stinks. It's not that the American people don't like it. It's they, They're not doing a good enough job selling it. So Joe Concha says, well, what's the media saying about Pete Buttigieg? Are they holding the transportation secretary accountable? And uh, he said a quick look at uh, Google's check of uh, Pete Buttigieg, or enter his name, what comes up under the news column? People magazine, headline, Pete Buttigieg calls parenting twins most demanding thing, yet I catch myself grinning half the time. USA Today. Pete Buttigieg calls parenting twins the most demanding thing I've ever done. Fox News. Pete Buttigieg quiet on growing port congestion as shipping concerns build ahead of holidays. That's the closest thing to holding the guy accountable that's out there. NBC News. Buttigieg on parenthood, most demanding thing I've ever done. Business Insider, Pete Buttigieg dishes on his future as a presidential candidate.
2: <laughs> Pete Buttigieg, your Transportation Secretary. Here you go. Marty Walsh, our Secretary of Labor, a 54-year-old that started working as a labor union official at 21, and then he ran for office, and he's been a politician ever since. His entire adult life, he has been on the dime of a government, yep. just like Joe Biden. Yep. That's, that's that's who the Democrats select for any cabinet position. And
0: and, and why do we have such a mess right now? Is because none of these people have ever run a private firm.
2: Pete Buttigieg has never run a private firm. Never had skin in the game in any firm. No. Ever. So
0: Jen Saki was asked earlier today, it's cut one, Clark, uh, about the congestion, about the fact that we have all these ships, about the fact that there's no goods on the shelves, about the fact that, hey, Will we be able to celebrate Christmas? And here's her uh, very insightful reply.
1: Based on everything being announced today, yeah. can this administration guarantee that holiday packages will arrive on time? We are not the Postal Service or UPS or FedEx. Uh, we cannot guarantee.
0: <laughs> Good gracious. Um, last time I checked, the post office was a part of the federal government. And you certainly don't hesitate to tell ICE, the Border Patrol, the IRS what to do. You're, or, you're,
2: you're, you're, you kick them around like uh, you own them. Or tell private employers to fire your employees if they don't go get vaccinated. Bingo. <laughs> and they wonder why there's a
0: shortage of workers. We're paying to stay home and we're encouraging them to get fired.
2: You know, I think pretty soon I've seen a little bit of a sea change with the White House press uh, corps. But pretty soon, they're going to get tired of her smart arse answers all the time. And they're going to turn on her with vengeance. And they should. I mean, what kind of answer is that? Well, just do your job as a journalist. Just
0: ask the questions, the obvious questions. I mean, why wouldn't you follow up and say, well, wait a minute. The post office is a part of the federal government. I mean, and it's not, you don't have to be a genius. I mean, we're just sitting here talking off the top of our head and we've got to come back. So earlier today, Joe Biden decided he would give some remarks about the fact that uh, the shelves are empty and uh, he tried to explain oh no. Yeah, he well this is his genius idea, his solution if we had only thought of this earlier, we wouldn't have this problem, but but Joe, being the genius that he is, came up with the perfect solution to the fact that there are Thousands. I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of containers are on these container ships, but there's hundreds of ships with probably thousands of containers. We're probably talking about, I don't know, 100,000, 250,000 containers uh, just outside of L.A., ready to be unloaded. Maybe more than that. I don't know. Anyway, here's Cousin Eddie
1: and his genius response. The Port of Los Angeles announced today that it's going to begin operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This follows the Port of Long Beach's commitment to 24-7 that it announced just weeks ago. 24-7 system, what most of the leading countries in the world already operate on now, except us, until now. This is the first key step toward moving our entire freight, transportation, and logistical supply chain nationwide to a 24-7 system. And here's why it matters. Traditionally, our ports have only been open during the week, Monday through Friday, and they're generally closed down at nights and on weekends. By staying open seven days a week, through the night and on the weekends, the Port of Los Angeles will open over 60 extra hours a week will be open. In total, that will almost double the number of hours that the port is open for business from earlier this year. That means an increase in the hours for workers, to be moving cargo off ships onto trucks and rail cars to get to their destination. And more than that, the night hours are critical for increasing the movement of goods because highways highways are less crowded in the evening, at night.
0: <laughs> you can't make it up. Wow.
1: Apparently, Joe has
0: never been on an interstate at 2 a.m. <laughs> I got news for you, Joe. Um, the trucks are already out there. You know, your solution of, hey, let's drive at night because there's nobody on the highways. Um, I think they've been doing that all along, uh, Joe. And, you know, we didn't have this problem nine months ago, Joe. Yeah.
2: And how about uh, I, I'm I'm just guessing that a lot of those guys work for the unions and those guys are working the hours the union bosses are telling yeah. telling them to. Yeah. And the unions, you know, that are always supporting Joe Biden, and the Democrat Party. Uh, yeah, I think it might be the fact that we're paying them to stay home and we're firing
0: them because they're not kissing Biden's rear end on this uh, whole COVID vaccine. Uh, White House Chief of Staff Ron Cain, guess who he blamed?
2: Trump. Trump.
0: <laughs> yeah. He said they inherited this problem. Mm. I mean, can you not at least make up a I mean, Just don't play the same Obama-it's-Bush's-fault game. Can you think up a new line? Wow,
2: Trump's fault. Oh yeah, mm. oh yeah. I can't
0: make it up. Hey, we're gonna take a timeout. When we get back, the Mark Robinson saga continues. Now, Mark had a press conference yesterday, and today there's a response again by more Democrats in the News and Observer. They chimed in. We'll talk about that when we get back. <laughs> collection of question marks a lot of questions
1: why how no logic no reason no explanation just a prolonged nightmare worst nightmare of their lives this long nationwide nightmare
0: we'll start collecting clues as to the whys the what's and the where's
1: neighborhood by neighborhood literally knocking on doors this is your worst nightmare the nightmare it would be a
0: nightmare worst nightmare we will not end the nightmare we'll only explain it explain to us because this yes this. this is news and views with tom and benny on talk 96.3 and 1037 read it Welcome back in. Today is National M M&M and M Day. That's kind of all I'm going to read. Although it's also National No Bra Day.
2: Hmm. Oh. I'm not wearing one, so I guess. Uh, I'm neither am I. On. Of course, if I keep <laughs> eating, I might have to. What, what was that Seinfeld uh, episode? The man's ear.
0: The man's ear. <laughs> Take a look at your weather forecast for October the 13th tonight. Partly cloudy with low around 63. Tomorrow mostly sunny, high near 83. And uh, as uh, the week goes on, Friday is a high of 87 with sunshine. Saturday, a high of 85. Late in the day, there's a chance of rain, and it must be a cool front coming in. That's probably why we're getting the rain, because Sunday's high is only supposed to be 70. And Sunday night, if you like a crisp fall night, get ready. Sunday night, clear with low around 46.
2: And if anybody's interested, in my favorite place in Idaho, it's 36 right now with a low of 10 tonight. Woo! that's why you
0: go there in the The summertime. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we talked to Mark Robinson, our lieutenant governor, on Monday. He graciously came on and uh, shared with us what was uh, going on. There was a, as you remember, you've probably seen this in the news, there was a video that was, um, it, it was released back in June, but it's made... The social media circuit and uh, all the libs have gone crazy because Mark Robinson in this video in which he was speaking to, I think it was Asbury Baptist Church back in June, was talking about educational materials that are in our public school system, in our public schools, that uh, promoted promiscuous behavior homosexual promiscuous behavior lgbtq promiscuous behavior in these books and he called it filth and it has been misinterpreted to the point that they are saying oh our lieutenant governor has called homosexuals and members of the LGBTQ community as filth and that is and that is a uh, that is a gross misinterpretation, and I'm, that's that's a generous description of what they're doing. I think it's rather blatant how they're misrepresenting what he said. Yesterday at 3 o'clock, the lieutenant governor held a press conference, and there's been a back and forth. Uh, Benny heard the press conference, and uh, we were talking during the break. The lieutenant governor was fired up.
2: Yeah, he was fired up, and, and the reporters— Typical, uh, you know, WREL News Observer questions, where they, um, you know, just didn't give him a chance at all. And he really fired back at them and told them that's not what he said at all. That's not what he meant at all. But they never would, they no. never would challenge, you know, what he would said. Because the the biggest thing he said, why don't you ask the governor, the attorney general, um, what uh, Senator Jackson, as well as the White House, what do they think about this type of material being in schools? That is a great question. You know, I mean, do they approve this? Now, what's interesting is the News and Observer ran a piece
0: today, and I, you know, I whether or not they were trying to be fair or whether or not they were actually helping the lieutenant governor and didn't realize it. I think that it was probably the latter.
2: Clicks. They want to clicks.
0: <laughs> Wake County Schools admits that Mark uh, admits what Mark Robinson said concerning perverted materials in public schools. Now that's my headline, not theirs. Wake County school officials said Wednesday, today, that teachers in Wake classrooms are not using three books singled out by Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson to teach, teach to teach children about being gay or transgender. Well, he never said that. He never came out and said, oh, the teachers are using this curriculum and they're teaching it in the schools. Now, <laughs> Benny and I were just talking about this during the break, uh, I, I wonder, I mean, can you prove that? Uh, you can't prove a negative, but... Robinson released a video over the weekend saying that books like Gender Queer, A Memoir by Maya Kob- uh, Kobaba, Lawn Boy by Jennifer, J- Jonathan Evison, and uh, George by Alex Gino are available in North Carolina public schools. Uh, These books and questions are not taught in our schools, said Lori Roach, a spokesperson for the Wake County Public School System. They're not included in any curriculum. In some schools, they are available in school libraries for students to check out. Well, that's what Robinson said.
2: Yeah. And one of the reporters yesterday challenged him and said, you know, hey, would you be, you know, saying this if these books were about heterosexual? He said, of course I would. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that it's, you know, two boys or two girls or whatever. I mean, it's uh, it's. It is filth. It shouldn't be in schools. There's enough things, and that's pretty much what Mark Robinson said yesterday at a press conference. I mean, there's enough things that our kids are lacking behind other countries. (laughs) In North Carolina, lacking behind almost every state. And we've got to worry about putting this filth in the library. It is filth. And and it's it's filth, and it's all over the nation, too. Robinson showed reporters Tuesday sexually
0: explicit images from genderqueer memoir. Two high schools in uh, Wake County have one copy each of Gender Queer, Roach said. So she's admitting, oh yeah, they're in our libraries. The book is available at other North Carolina schools, including Cedar Ridge High School in Orange County, East Mecklenburg High School, according to library catalogs. Illustrations in the book show people in various sex acts. And I'm talking about graphic illustrations and i'm
2: talking about homosexual sexual acts it was it was very graphic in fact the press conference uh the video that that popped up that i watched yesterday it, it i mean it was a live press conference no it was no one was blocking anything out i mean it i, I just could not believe that would be available in our public schools
0: uh, and, and again yeah what if it's I mean, homosexual graphic. or homosexual yeah robinson told reporters the reporters that regardless of where the book's are in the school, it is unacceptable. I challenge anyone out there to look at this and say that you want your child to look at it or be forced to look at it in the classroom, Robinson told reporters on Tuesday. I'm not the bad guy, folks. I'm the guy who's trying to get the pornography out of our schools. Thank you, Mark Robinson. Craig White, supportive school director at the Campaign for Southern Equality, said research shows that including LGBTQ people in social studies, English, and health curriculum is important to a school environment. What you see is that the school as a whole becomes safer for all students, White said. You see LGBTQ students feeling much more at home in the school and feel like I have a place, I belong here. So uh, how do you think that little girl, the ninth grader, up in Loudoun County, whose dad was arrested because the school board wouldn't listen to him as he shared the story of his daughter getting raped by a transgender who was allowed to use the girl's bathroom, um, I, does that little girl feel safe? And But here's the other thing. It, what is Greg White saying here? That in order for transgenders and homosexuals to feel at home... That we need to talk and promote sexual activities in such a blatant manner as this. We need to promote sexual activities between, and one of these books does this, Lawn Boy promotes sexual activities between adult men and minor male children.
2: Pedophilia. I mean, it would be just as wrong if it was uh, an an adult male and and, and a youth female. I mean, it's pedophilia. There's no other way to say that. So we have to have that, according to Greg White,
0: to make the LGBT community feel at home in schools? This is unbelievable. Robinson's spotlight on the books, on the other hand, really creates an element of fear, he said, not just amongst LGBTQ students, but also LGBTQ faculty members. Fear? Because he wants to get rid of pedophilia out of the out of the school library that that makes people feel fear. I, I, that's unbelievable. Mm. And I, I'd be honest with you, I can't imagine I would be shocked to hear somebody who was a homosexual or a member of the LGBTQ community call up and say, "Yes, it makes me fearful if you would remove these books out of the library." I I don't I don't believe they would say that. I think Greg White is out of order there.
2: He's a nut. I don't even know him. He's a nut by based on that statement. <laughs> you know, if if funds are short in North Carolina schools for books, <laughs> instead yeah. of buying this trash, how about going buy an extra copy of Julius Caesar or uh, Lord of the Flies or Beowulf, some of the classics that actually can teach you something.
0: The um, Robinson said those books have no places in our schools. He then said that there's no reason why anybody anywhere in America should teach children about being gay or transgender. Adding that any of that filth, he said, "I don't." Uh, he said he didn't care who didn't like his use of the word filth. And listen, teaching sexual activity in any way, shape, or form. That you know, it, it belongs in the home. It belongs in a, in a different environment other than a public school system. And
2: um, well, even if it even if it is taught at all in a public school system, it should be strictly from a health science yes perspective, yes, not an indoctrination perspective of what what the school system thinks is proper. It's not their place to. Teach what they think is proper. That's I, between the parents and the children. I mean, would you have other books in the high school library that would promote something that's illegal? Yeah, good point. Well, yeah, I, th- I think the modern, the modern progressive, Democrat Party would. Yeah, I think they would. Well,
0: probably. Uh, House Speaker Tim Moore says he agrees with Robinson. The lieutenant governor has clarified his statements and has said plainly that he was describing the reading material, not the person of the community, and. uh Mark Robinson doubled down on that. Um, Mark Robinson yesterday also played one of the voicemails during his news conference of Mm -hmm. a man repeatedly calling him a racial epitaph
2: and threatening violence. It was bad. During the live press conference, they did not bleep anything out, and it was really, really bad.
0: And and are they going to try to blame that on a conservative? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. what they usually do, right?
2: Oh, that must have been a conservative. That must have
0: been a uh someone who's a white supremacist,
2: well, you know we kind of predicted it. we talked about it mark robinson um he would be attacked and he has since he has been in office since he's been elected and his popularity continues to grow they you know take his words and piece them oh yeah piece him of piece him part of to, to what they want to uh say just like this video i mean I, I i'd listen to the i've actually found the entire um presentation at that church online mm-hmm. it was it was taken way out of context in context and it was done intentionally of but, course but he you know he needs to get prepared because it'll, it'll keep coming and i think he's prepared yeah i don't think he'll back down we were talking too during
0: the break will the republican party stand behind mark robinson if they don't, if if North Carolinian politicians that are Republican on the state, well, at any level, in Congress, in the U.S. Senate, or in the State House, State Senate, uh, I think they're going to be in political trouble, as they should be, if they don't stand behind Mark Robinson.
2: I think there's some that will, will not stand behind him simply because they think he Occupies a space in the party that they should be occupying. It's their turn. You know. You know. I mean, you, you know how they are. It's oh, yeah, their turn, yeah, yeah. and uh, so there'll, there'll be some of them out there. By the way, let me say this once again:
0: there is a online petition to support Mark Robinson, and that's all you're doing. And uh, if you want to sign that petition, I would encourage you to do so. You can go to Mark Robinson. 4NC.com forward slash Democrats underscore resignation. Make it simpler. Go to ENC News and Views, and uh, Clark has a link to that on our the front page of our website. So that will be easy to get to. Uh, I, again, I um, commend Mark Robinson in this day and age. We need more men like Mark Robinson uh, from uh, every race and creed. Uh, Vernetta Alston, a Durham Democrat, said schools have knowledgeable people who should be discussing, discussing what books make it into the school library, and that's not the purview of the lieutenant governor. Well, guess what? The lieutenant governor is a member of the State Board of Education. So I would say uh, Vernetta, yeah, he does have a—he ought to be speaking out on this. He ought to be using his bully pulpit. We've got to take another time out. Stay with us. Um, Some good news in the last 24 hours for Republicans and some discouraging news for Democrats. We'll talk about that. to news and views talk 96.3 and 103.7 welcome back in 19 minutes before the top of the hour so up in iowa there was a special election for a house seat in the u.s house Uh, an individual there has left the position in the house to go take a job with the iowa law enforcement academy and uh, so they had a special election well, what was interesting about this is this seat has been in the hands of democrats for decades i mean decades and more recently it's sort of flip-flop back and forth in terms of the percentage that the democrats have won by but yesterday in this special Iowa House election it flipped for the first time in decades the republican a guy named john dunwell won by 20 percentage points wow 20 percentage points that is a slam dunk when you say decades was it during ronald reagan <laughs> probably uh well it's, it's you know decades is i, I would say that's got to be at least 20 years uh, the decades of history is interesting more recent past the district went blue 62% to 38% in 2012 mm-hmm. 51% to 38% in 2016 um it was a 3 point difference in 2020 and uh, it was actually a lot deeper uh, blue in 2018 than it was 3 point uh, squeaker in 2020 and yesterday the republican won by 20 points wow which um okay now, next month, in about three weeks, we're going to have this uh, governor's race up in Virginia.
2: That's that's going to be pretty telling. I, you know, when you go out through Virginia, you know, Virginia doesn't have a whole lot of big cities, really. I mean, when you it, get got Richmond, DC, and then, yeah. then Roanoke, and yeah, west, it, yeah, yeah, west of there, Lynchburg, Roanoke, and Lynchburg. Obviously, is pretty conservative, but um, I mean, it's Virginia's pretty much conservative state, except for other the East, than the DC area. DC right. area. So we'll just see how much. Uh, well, and and right now,
0: D.C. is in the midst of this Loudoun County school controversy.
2: Yeah, I guarantee you there's a whole lot of Loudoun County people, these parents, that's outraged over this. I bet there's a large percentage of them that did not vote for Donald Trump in the last election. Oh, yeah. And and they're kicking themselves right now. Yeah. And um, I, I think this Virginia race will tell an awful lot. But but stop and think
0: about this. Nine years ago, in this Iowa seat, nine years ago, the Democrat won 62% to 38%.
2: That's a blowout.
0: That's a blowout. But yesterday, the Republican won by a 20-point margin.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty telling.
0: That is—if I was a Democrat, I would be a little concerned. And— And you talk about being concerned. The only Democrat in the U.S. House from the state of Kentucky announced in the last 24 hours that he's retiring at the end of this term. Mm -hmm. He's been up there since 2006. So you have an incumbent that is basically throwing in the towel. He said, I, "I mean, now maybe he's just dog tired, doesn't want to do it again." Uh, my hunch is it is may, may, that might be part of it, but I think he's dog tired and he realizes, "Wow."
2: Well, I know this sounds ultra pessimistic, but I, I truly believe if the midterms, if there's not an overwhelming change, um, I, I, I'm really concerned for our republic. Well,
0: if there's not an overwhelming change, I'm really concerned that that, that the cheating has been doubled down or tenfold. Um, I, I think what you saw in that this situation up in Iowa, and uh, the fact that the uh, Kentucky uh, House member, what's the guy's name uh, up in Kentucky, um, Yarmouth. Mm-hmm. What is his first name? John Yarmuth tweeted, It's been an incredible journey since my first campaign in 2006. Until now, I will continue to fight for Louisville and Washington for another 15 months, and then I am out of here. He's going to retire. Um, We need to take another time out, don't we? Um, We just have one left? Have two left. Let's take one. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're past due. Stay with us. We'll be right back. <laughs>
2: news and views he's kind of a diva he's absolutely fascinating ultimate gentleman spy irresistible to women deadly to his enemies a legend in his own time you won't believe what he's going to say
0: next on talk 96.3 and 1037 here's tom lembrick anthony fauci is uh getting fried the patron saint of covid uh (laughs) is given the okay he's given the blessing for children to go out and trick-or-treat that is the big red flag. Yeah. Are you going to dress <laughs> up as a big red flag? Um,
2: you know well, need... how many Fauci costumes there will be for <laughs> Halloween? <laughs> It'd be scary.
0: That would be a <laughs> her- horrific. Anyway, the critics have just slammed the guy. I mean, it's just like, uh, oh, thank you for giving us your stamp of approval. Get, we can go trick-or-treating. He said, you can go out there. Enjoy it. He said, my kids like to do it. I mean, this is time of the year children love. I, I think he's getting so much <laughs> negative feedback. You know, his comments, well, I don't know if you're going to celebrate Christmas this year. Anyway, Fauci.
2: I got some for Fauci, but I think we might lose our license. <laughs> or Henry, anyway. <laughs> there is an
0: um, interesting study that came out of uh, Stanford. Stanford University.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, Palo Alto. It is uh, talking about the mortality risk of COVID-19, and it breaks it down by age. If you're in the age group of 1 to 19—and listen, okay, I know that people have died from COVID-19, okay? I, I, but people die from a lot of things, and it's sad and I, I understand all that, so don't get upset with me. These, this is—I'm just reading off this paper. Okay, this is a study by Stanford University. If you're in the age group of zero to nineteen, your survival rate ninety-nine point nine nine seven percent. That means your chances of dying is one in thirty-seven thousand thirty-six. That means the chances of you dying, dying of COVID, according to the study, they say it's similar to the odds of dying from a sharp object. If you're 20 to 29, your survival rate is 99.986%. That would be 1 in 7,142, the chances of you dying. That is the similar odds of dying from a sunstroke. If you're 30 to 39, chances of your surviving are 99.969%, 1 in 3,225. That would be similar to the odds of you dying from choking on food. If you're 40 to 49, getting closer to our age, uh, 99.920% survival rate. That's 1 in 1,219 odds of dying. That's similar odds of dying by drowning. If you're fifty to fifty nine, that your category. Mm, yep. Uh, chances son. of you dying or nine. Are you surviving? <laughs> not dying. You surviving are ninety nine point seven three zero percent. That's one in three hundred sixty nine. Um, similar to the odds of dying in a pedestrian accident. Survival rate if you're sixty to sixty nine. This is my category. Ninety nine point four one zero. That's 1 in 168 odds of dying, similar to dying in a car crash. If you're 70-plus, it drops down. Your survival rate is, 70, uh, is 97.6%. That's 1 in 41, similar to the odds of dying of chronic respiratory disease.
2: You know, I... I, I'm not doubting it's bad. It is. I've known people. I've got had friends, oh, it is bad. <clears throat> friends that's passed away. But I, I had an interesting discussion with someone last week when they mentioned about, well, maybe it was two weeks ago, when they said that, uh, you know, it's it's official. COVID is worse than the Spanish flu. And I, I first chuckled, and they said, why do you laugh? I said, "Well, well, first of all, the United States population at the time was a fourth of what it is now. Right. And everyone was dying from the Spanish flu. I mean, if you ever go through a cemetery, and I go through a lot of old cemeteries because I'm a history geek in part because— There's uh, a
0: lot of deaths in that date.
2: Oh, you go—the it, It's the cemetery is full of people that died—entire f- families around 1918. And I'm, I'm not sure that's what it is, but it's pretty right. certain it probably is. Sure. I mean— Um, to to compare this to the number of deaths to the number of deaths in the Spanish flu in the United States is just, I mean, that's, to me, it's laughable really uh, because it was a lot less people here by a long shot.
0: You know, it's interesting. Cheryl Atkinson has done a study um, of the Amish community up outside of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and uh, they're not getting the vaccine and they're not going to the hospital and they're continuing to work. And uh, on, on this program, she just said, "There's no evidence of any more deaths among the Amish in these places uh, than places that are shut down tight." And these people are still working, still doing. The, they really have not changed their routine. Now, if someone's sick, obviously they're they're nurturing them back to health. But uh, interestingly, too, in these communities, they have herd immunity. It's done. It's not coming back. Well, I mean, I I, no, I don't know what, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't know that it's not going to come back. But right now, it's gone through their community, they're back to work, and it's looks I, like it's a done deal. Yeah,
2: I haven't read this, and this is pure speculation on my part, but it's probably the fact that they're a lot healthier. <laughs> they actually work, they're not overweight, and I mean, I mean, really, if you've ever been to the Amish country, people were in pretty good shape. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and and they, you know, kind of live off the land. And they're not uh, they're not they're not eating fast food and things like that. The uh, town halls reporting a
0: news leak to Fox News shows the policy of catch and release. It is as bad or worse than you thought it was. Up to one hundred and sixty thousand illegal immigrants have been released in the United States with little or no supervision by the Biden administration. That's since March, including a broad use of limited Patrol uh, parole authorities to make more than thirty thousand eligible for work permits since uh, August. Since March twentieth, at least ninety-four thousand five hundred and seventy illegal immigrants have been released into the United States with notices to report, which those notices are totally meaningless.
2: Oh, that's not by accident either.
0: No, no. Hey, thanks for being with us. We'll do it again tomorrow. Play a little political trivia. See you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.